So we're going to finish up here this morning out of uh, Hosea chapter number 14. Um, I hope this has been helpful to you, just going through the book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We started this back in February, so we've been uh, taking some time to go through it. And um, what I'd like to do this morning, really, is for us to maybe just take some time, pause, and maybe ask the Lord to speak to our heart individually before we jump into the message here. If we're not too careful, we can become very mechanical in our time that we spend with the Lord, looking into his word, and not really allow the Lord to speak to our heart and ask him to point things out in our lives that we find in the word and ask him to change us, ask, ask him to help us change. And uh, so I think that'd be good if we, if we do that. So why don't we just take just a brief moment and just pause for a time of prayer, silent prayer in your own individual heart, And ask the Lord, Lord, if there is something that you show me today out of your word that needs to change in my life, will you please point that out to me and help me make the change? So we'll just take a few moments and just uh, pray silently uh, in your own heart there to the Lord. Lord, as we come before you this morning... We pray that you will open our eyes to see what is in your word. Help us to listen, not just with our ears, but help us to listen with our heart. Help us to take hold of the life-giving message that is in your word. And help us to be changed and transformed uh, into your image. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. So the book of Hosea starts with a story from the life of Hosea. And as we've been looking through, going through these uh, chapters, Hosea was a prophet. He was given a very specific message to the nation of Israel. And this was at the time when the nation had completely turned away from God. I mean, they were going after other idols. And God gives Hosea a very strange command. And he tells him in Hosea chapter 1, verse number 2, he says, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so the Lord is going to use Hosea, he's going to use his marriage as an example and show the nation of Israel exactly what they have done. And they have committed this spiritual adultery, running after other gods and forsaking their one and true uh, God. And so God uses this marriage between Hosea and Gomer uh, to illustrate this and to show them that they have turned away from God. They went after other idols and they've forsaken the Lord. And so, you know, at this point um, in, in, the, in the text and in the, in the point of history there, we would see the nation of Israel, how they've forsaken the Lord. They've gone after other gods. And we'd say, you know, God needs to take care of this. God needs to judge them. And yes, rightfully so, because God's not going to allow these things to go unpunished. But God does something very strange and unusual that we just don't understand. Um, because we are not like God. We are, we are men and we, we don't think the way that God thinks. And God pursues after his children lovingly. 
Um, he pursues after them and he uses the illustration again, just like how he did for Hosea and Gomer. He tells uh, Hosea to go find his wife, Gomer, and bring her back home because obviously she was already engaged again in a life of immorality and adultery. And he pursues after her, brings her back home. And what a beautiful picture that is of how the Lord pursues after us, even though then when we have forsaken him, he pursues after us. And so then here, this is where we see, again, in this concluding chapter here of Hosea chapter number 14, that God once again calls for the people to return to him. If we could sum up the book of Hosea with one word, it would basically be this word, return. We saw that throughout the whole uh, chap, the, all the chapters here of the book of Hosea. Return, 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 return to me, return to me, return to me. But yet the people refused to return back to the Lord. And when we read here in Hosea chapter 14, just these uh, short nine verses... You're going to see that even though God will bring judgment upon them, God still offers, I think this is what's so great about it, is that God still offers his love and his compassion, and he's willing to do something amazing in their life if they would just simply return back to him. And so this morning, he's calling every one of us to return back to him. So let's jump in here into our text in Hosea chapter number 14. And let's look at a few verses uh, from what the Bible says here. So number one, return to the Lord. We see that reoccurring theme. So Hosea 14, verses 1 through 2, he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you the words and return to the Lord. In Hosea 5, 4, we read that their deeds do not permit them to return to the Lord. In Hosea 7.10, it said that the pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. In Hosea 11.5, it says that they have refused to return to me. And in Hosea 12.6, he said, So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. And again here in Hosea 14, God says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. And so he has been giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to simply return back to him. And this is what he does again in this last chapter of Hosea 14. Simply return back to me. Now notice the text here again. The fact that they have to return to the Lord means that they have left the Lord. I mean, obviously, God wouldn't say, return to me if you haven't left me. So obviously, there has been a change in their direction. There had been a change in a way that they were once going, but now they're going a completely opposite, different way. And God says, you have to return because you have left me, or you have left from following me, or if you've left where we were going. And so it's important to see how God describes their time when they have left him. Do you see it? What does God say? Because they have left him, what has happened? They've stumbled. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to stumble. My wife always makes fun of me because she says that I can't walk. And that's probably true. But I am like, I don't know what it is. When I get around ice, like especially if it, it, it's uh, really icy outside, I mean, she just like, she doesn't like to watch me walk on ice because I'm about like, I, I, 
do this number and, you know, I mean, she has a heart attack. She thinks I'm going to break a leg or something, you know, but I end up getting my balance and everything. But it says that they have stumbled. Now, how many has this happened to you? In the middle of the night, something happens. You get out of bed, you jump up, you got to go do something and you hit your toe, you stumble, you, you run into something. It's not fun. God says, because they have left me, that their life is characterized by stumbling. That's not a really good way to be walking, is stumbling. Whenever we have turned from the Lord, your life can be characterized as stumbling. I don't know about you, but I've often found myself when I'm not really walking with the Lord as I should, or when I'm not walking in the light as he is walking in the light, my life is characterized by stumbling. Not physical stumbling, but spiritual stumbling. I can't seem to find the right direction. I can't seem to make the right choices in life because I am stumbling in the way that I am walking. When you stumble, you are off balance. It catches you off guard. You often get hurt. As human beings, we are designed to walk. And when we stumble, things aren't going right in our lives. So now why does he say that we have stumbled? Because of your iniquity. Because of your sin. That's the reason why we stumble. Is because of that. The Bible uses a lot of similar words to describe our our deepest problem that's within our heart. He uses the word sin, transgression, iniquity, disobedience. All of these things cause stumblings in our lives. And at its root, rebellion is against God. So not only do we not do what God says, but we don't want God to tell us what we are supposed to be doing. Rather than rightly responding to God with faith and trust and love, what do we do? We detest him. We say, I don't want to go that way. And what that does is it causes us to stumble in what we are doing. So this is our deepest problem. We are broken. We are fallen. There's something wrong deep within us. And we do things that are wrong because we are broken on the inside. How many of you have ever been over to Martin's or uh, Kroger or wherever, wherever they have a shopping cart? And you pull out the shopping cart, and you start going, and then all of a sudden, there's one wonky wheel. And it's something prideful in you that you don't want to go return that shopping cart. You're going to sit there and go down the aisle with that wonky wheel. Now, I mess around with Jamie sometimes. I act like the cart is really messed up when it's really not, and I'm like... <laughs> she gets so embarrassed. I don't know why, but... Um, You think about that broken wheel of that shopping cart. It's not supposed to be shaking like that. It's supposed to be designed, those bearings in there are supposed to be designed to to move with precision and, and, and smoothness. But there's something wrong with it. And you think about our own lives as we're going through life. If if things are out of kilter and things are not moving with precision in our spiritual life, what ends up happening is we stumble. And we fall because of our iniquity. When a person comes to Christ, they're given a new nature. That day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit of Christ came to live inside of you. 
And you have a new nature living inside of you. But there's something wrong with all of us. We're still broken. We still have a sin nature. And that sin nature sometimes likes to go and do its own things just like that wonky wheel on that shopping cart. It's broken. There won't come a day until we're given a new body. And when when we see Christ that we won't have that sinful nature anymore. But until that time, we have to make sure that we're walking with God the way that we need to be walking with Him and not stumbling in our life. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ. You need to repent from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, you and I still have to return to God on a daily basis. I was speaking with a young man just a week ago. And I was talking with him about things that are going on in this life. And I said, listen, I said, what you have to do is, I said, you have to make a decision that you want to follow Jesus Christ every single day of your life. When I get out of bed, I have to make a decision. Either I'm going to live for myself or I'm going to live for Christ. And if I choose to live for myself, what I end up finding is I find myself stumbling Instead of walking the way that God has designed for me to walk. So this chapter here in Hosea chapter 14 was not given just to the Israelites centuries ago. It's not given to us so we knew what was going on. It's given to us for today because God wants us to return back to him and not to stumble in the life that we are living. So God is now going to tell them how to return to him. Notice what he says here in verse number 3. Verses 2 and 3. He says, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good. And we will pay with bulls and the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands In you, the orphan finds mercy. So God tells them a specific way how they are to return to him. He says, you are to return to me with words. Now words can be shallow and meaningless, but so can actions. God has given us the ability to use words so we can respond back to him. And look what he says here in the first verse. That they stumble because of their iniquity. And now he wants them to agree with him. And he wants them to confess what is true. What are they confessing? Look at the text, what he says. He says, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. He tells them to take away all iniquity, to confess to him. Confessing our sin to God is not something that he wants us to do because he doesn't know what we did. Have you ever thought about that? Why does God want us to confess our sins, to confess our iniquity before him? I mean, God knows what we did. God knows that the, that the children of Israel here had, had left following after him. But why does he want us to confess to him? It's because he wants us to know that and agree with him that the direction that we are going And he wants us to know how horrible the sin really is that has taken control over our lives. He doesn't want us just to say to God, 
well, God, you know, I got some cobwebs in my life, and I want you to just kind of go in there and clean them all out. God, you know, I, I, I made some mistakes in life. He wants us to turn to him and say, God, I have sinned against you. I have done this. I have said this. I have acted in this way. God, that is wrong according to your word. He wants us to confess, to bring our lines, our lives rightly in a line with him and his word. And he wants us to return back to him with words. But look what he says that they are supposed to confess. He says, we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. These are some specific things that he wants them to confess to them. Look, I want you to point out a few of these things to you here. Look what he says here again in Hosea chapter 14, verse number 3. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. Three things that Hosea chapter number, the, the book of Hosea was always going through was about uh, their alliances with other nations. Remember how God says they were going to go after Assyria, they were going to go after Egypt because they were looking for strength, they were looking for hope. Another thing, military strength, they said to not ride on horses. And the third thing was idols, the work of our hands. God wants them to return back to them with words of confessing and saying, Listen, we are not going to go after other nations. God, you're the only one that we're going to trust in. God, we're forsaking that and we will not follow after Assyria any longer. God, we are not going to sit there and put our confidence in military strength by riding on horses anymore. You are our strength. You are our shield. You are our buckler. You are our strong and mighty tower, God. We are going to only simply trust in you. And then he says, I want you to confess that you are no longer going to say to the work of your hands, this is our God. I don't want you to say no more that the the fashioning of these bulls and and these idols, that these are your gods. I want you to, to leave all those things and return back to me and forsake those things and say, These things are not our God. So God wants them to return back to them with words. What is it in your life that God wants you to return back to him with words? It could be anything. It could be something that is really known in your life. Maybe it's something that that has been marking your life for years. Maybe it's something that's just crept up recently. Whatever it is, God wants you to return back to him by confessing with words and saying, God, I have left following after you and I've been pursuing after you fill in the blank. And God, I don't want to go in that direction anymore because it's causing stumbling in my life. So something that holds you back from wholeheartedly following Jesus, what is it? What is that one thing? That's keeping you from following after the Lord. The Lord wants you to return back to him with words. Jesus said it this way. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and despise the other. 
He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. He says, it's an impossibility. So is there another master in your life? Is there something else that is controlling your life? God says, return back to me with words. Notice what else he says about this. I want you to notice this secondly here. Those who return are full of life. Now this is where the Bible is just so amazing the way that God does this. Because God is a God that always offers hope. If, if it was left up to us, that's why I know that the, the Bible is such a supernatural book. Because if mere man wrote the Bible, um, we wouldn't have any hope in it whatsoever. <laughs> we would just leave it open-ended and it would just be kind of like, well, am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Is there going to be any help for me? Any, I don't know what's going on. But God does something amazing here because he says, look, if you simply return back to me, I'm going to do something amazing in your life and I'm going to bring life, real life into you. Often in the Old Testament prophets, God warns the people of judgment. He tells them of the devastating effects of them leaving and following after other gods. But here he says that he will bring life into them if they will simply return back to them. You know, one of the ways that God does this is he always appeals to our deepest longings and desires of our heart. I would say that all of us in here that know Christ is our Savior, that we would all agree and say, yes, I want to live my life fully for Jesus Christ. I want to live the abundant life that God has so promised me. I want to live the life that Jesus says about that there will be wells of water springing up inside of me, bubbling over. We all want that. And God says, I'm willing to give that to you. But there's a condition to that. You must return back to me. Now look and listen very carefully to the word pictures here that God's going to show us in these verses. God in these verses is going to paint a very poetic picture of what it looks like when we return back to him and live a life that is full of God. Notice what he says here in these verses. He says this. In Hosea 14, verses 4 through 7, I will hear, heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain, and they shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. All of these pictures here that God gives for us are images that are full of life. None of them have decay. None of them have destruction in them. Now remember, as we've been looking through the book of Hosea, God says, I will do this. I'm going to tear you like a lion. I'm going to rip you apart. But this is the last few verses of the book of Hosea, and it's full of life. God says, I have judgment reserved for you. But if you simply return back to me, 
I'm willing to give you life. And listen what he says here. He says, freshness. I will be like dew. He says, he shall blossom. Twice he says that. Like the lily and the vine, his beauty shall be like the olive. He mentions about strength and stability. He says, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon, like giant oak, like giant cedars. They won't be unstoppable and they won't be blown around by some gusty wind. They'll be rooted down. And then he speaks about growth. His shoots shall spread out and they shall flourish like the vine. Through these images, God is painting a vivid picture for us that there is a sense that he wants us to get a hold of. God has put a deep desire in our hearts, those that know Christ as our Savior, to live a life that is, that is fresh, to live a life that has strength, to live a life that has beauty and roots that are, go down deep. That's what God wants for our lives. He doesn't want us to live a life that we're blown about by every wind of doctrine. He doesn't want us to live a life where we're just kind of, you know, emaciated Christians, where we're just kind of going through life on past experiences. God wants to do something wonderful in our life and in our hearts. But he says that they must return back to him. You see, the temptation is for us to try and satisfy that this desire that's in our heart was something other than God. We try to replace it. So we find ourselves, we're weak, we find ourselves, we're not stable, we find ourselves, we're stale in our Christian life. And God says, I'm willing to give you life, but what we do is we run to something else and we say, this is new, I can try this. And it works for a little while, but then what ends up happening? We get back in the same pattern, we're stale, we're not stable, we don't have life. And God says, I'm the only one that can bring about the life that you desire in your life. You see, whenever we put anything or anyone other than God in this place, it is an idol. An idol doesn't have to be something that's handcrafted out of wood or metal. It can be anything. Anything that takes centrality in your heart, that finds it and it's placed as the prime seat in your heart, the one that you worship, that is an idol. God says, I'm the only one that's supposed to have that rightful place in your life. And so whatever rules you other than God himself is an idol. No idol can ever make you full of life. No idol can bring about flourishing. No idol will ever satisfy your heart. It can't. Only God can do that. He is the only one. Notice what else he says about this, about being full of life. In verse number 8, he says, O Ephraim, O Israel, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. God here indicates what is different between him and idols. God can answer them and look after them. No idol can answer you and no idol can look after you. It can't answer you. God says, what do I have to do with idols? How can you compare me with an idol, Israel? You can't. I can answer you and I can help you. You know, we were just singing uh, 
that song, He Leadeth Me. And I was thinking about that, and a word, the, the image as we were singing, an image popped into my mind. And a few days ago, uh, we were outside walking, and um, we were going to take Evelyn on a walk. And she's getting pretty good where she can go downstairs now. We don't like for her to go front ways. We still like for her to crawl down the stairs. But she's getting pretty good where she knows she can step down and keep her balance. Well, she went down a few stairs. And then there was a larger stair. And she knew it was larger. And this is what she did. I was right by her side. She held out her hand like this. She says, I want you to lead me. I want you to help me. I want you to show me down the way. And as we were singing that song, I was thinking about that, that God so desires to lead us. He so desires for us to go through life because he doesn't want us to stumble. He doesn't want us to fall. And we as a little child in in the image of God, what we need to do is we need to reach out our hand and we need to say, Abba, Father, Daddy, will you please lead me? Will you please guide me? Because no idol can do that. No idol can show us how to navigate through life. And God desires that for our life. Now if someone were to ask you, what is God like? What would you say? I guarantee you, you would not say what God says that he is like in this passage. Notice what he says that he is like. He says, he is like an evergreen cypress. If someone were to come up to you and say, can you tell me what God is like? If you were to say, well, God's like an evergreen cypress, they'd probably look at you kind of weird. But yet that answer is a very biblical answer to give to somebody. You say, why? Well, because an evergreen cypress is alive and it's vibrant. And God is the true and living God. He is the only one. All idols are false and dead. And then God says something absolutely remarkable about him being an evergreen cypress. Notice what he says. From me comes your fruit. God appears here, appeals to our desires and the uh, desires that are in our heart that we long to be flourishing, that we long to be fresh and vibrant and full of life. God says, from me comes your fruit. In John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus said, Whosoever drinks of the water of life, I will give him, will never be thirsty again. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. In John chapter 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. And so throughout all of the Bible, God calls us to find our happiness in him and him alone. No idol. And this is what he's going to do here. From me comes your fruit. So are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you tired of having staleness and weakness in your life? God says, I'm willing to give you life. I'm willing to give you abundant life. I'm willing to make your life flourish and take root and be strong and mighty if you'll just be simply willing enough to return back to me.
And how is he going to do that? Here we go, the last point here. Point number three, the final call. Look at verse number nine. This is the last verse of Hosea chapter 14. He says this, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This is the last verse, and this is the last summary verse of the book of Hosea. And this verse here stands as a summary of what God wants us to do. Notice who this is addressed to. He didn't say, Israel, if you are wise, let yourselves understand this. Who did he say? Whoever. That's you. That's me. That's whoever. If we are going to be wise and we are going to understand these things, and if we are going to understand what God wants for our life and apply them to our life and our heart, God will do something great and wonderful in our lives. So the message of this book is not limited just to the ancient Israelites. It's for us for today. Many times you hear people speaking of two paths in life. Sometimes we look at it and we say, okay, um, you know, there's this way and there's that way. But in this text here, God says that there's only one path to be walking on. And as we walk in that path, either one or two things will happen. Either we will flourish or we will stumble. Look what he says here in the text. He says, the ways of the Lord, both groups, both move and walk on this path that he talks about. But their experience is very different. What is the difference in that experience of how they're walking in the way that God has provided? Well... Look what he says. Number one, he talks about the upright walk in them. He says, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. They're on the same path, but there's a difference of how they're walking. One is walking correctly, upright. The other one is trying to walk, but he keeps stumbling. He's fallen. Because he's transgressing against the Lord. He says that they stumble. Remember verse number one? It says that they stumble because of why? Their iniquity. Those who refuse to return to the Lord are going to stumble all along their way. So this verse makes it clear that there is only one path. And that one path is God's path. And so when we're on the path, if you know Christ as your Savior... And you have turned from the Lord. You've been pursuing after other things. You're still on the path. But you're stumbling along the way. And you're having a hard time. Instead of going down the stairs the right way. And instead of putting out your hand. You're saying I got this. I can do it without you God. And you're finding that you're stumbling. And you're having a hard time. And difficulty is coming in your way. But those that are on the same path that decide and say, God, I want you to be my God. I want you to be center in my life and in my heart. All other idols, I'm willing to forsake those because I want to follow after you. God says that they walk uprightly in their path. So if we refuse to return back to him, we will stumble. We will have a hard and difficult time throughout life.
But if we return to him, we will flourish as the way that God described us in here. As he said, what I will be willing to do in your life and bring stability and flourishing and, and get rid of that staleness and bring freshness in your life. And we will walk in his ways. So the question for you, the question for me is, will we return to the Lord? Will you return to the Lord? If God has shown something in your heart that's pointed out, and he says, this is something that is keeping you from returning to me, it's time that we say, Lord, I acknowledge that. We confess to him with words. And we say, Lord, I want to flourish. I don't want to stumble. I want to be the way that you want me to be and walk uprightly in the path that you have me to put me on. Let's pray together. 